0: Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Our whole worship this morning has focused on the Lord Jesus Christ because that's where the whole faith centers. It's all about Jesus. That's what we're going to reflect on today. It's all about Jesus. It's not about you, it's not about me, it's about Him. That's something that we get from John the Baptist and His witness. And so. We're going to turn to John chapter one and see what the Baptist has to teach us this morning. John chapter one, if you'll turn there. Art, that was awesome. Art Wellborn, that was awesome. There's only one Art in this whole place. You're (laughs) it. And that was awesome. And, And Aspen, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's so excited for you. God bless you. Look in verse 19, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet?" I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The chosen one that is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. John bears his witness. And that's what John's life and his ministry is all about bearing witness to Jesus. See, if you read about John in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll learn all sorts of things about him. You'll find out what he wears, what he eats, where he's preaching out there in the wilderness. You'll learn that in this baptism, it was all about repentance. You were to repent and you would be baptized in token of that repentance. He even gave commands to those who were listening on how they could obey God's commands in their practical everyday life. That's what Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us. But when you get to the fourth gospel, most of that falls away. We are told that John baptized, but that's just an incidental. Statement because the thrust of it all isn't John, it's Jesus. And Jesus is set forth, rather, John is set forth as a witness to Jesus. It's as if his whole life and his whole ministry is summed up as that and nothing more. In fact, John says he is a voice, Jesus is the word, Jesus is the message. But John is the voice delivering that word and that message to the people. And that's all he is. So part of his witness was who he wasn't. You notice he confessed. It says he confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. I am not Elijah, who the Jews expected to come before Messiah. I am not the prophet that Moses had said would come. I am not this, I am not that. He confessed these things because part of the message was, it's not about me, it's about Jesus Christ. He's focusing on the one who has come and he calls him the Lamb of God. Now, that doesn't have a lot of natural associations for us. If you've read the Bible, it does, but otherwise, the Lamb of God? But The hearers that John was addressing, they would immediately have all sorts of ideas surrounding that. The main one was the lamb as a sacrifice. The ancient world was full of sacrifices. People offered animals up to God all the time, and the Jews did just as the other peoples. They understood sacrifice a bit differently. They understood it as a gift of God rather than something they were giving to pay off God. But God gave them this sacrifice, they were to bring a lamb and that lamb would bear their sins. That lamb would be slain. And in that way, the blood of the lamb atones for their sins. They went free, even though that lamb surrendered its life. It became a picture of a spiritual reality. And John says the spiritual reality is Christ. It's Jesus. He doesn't name him at this point, but he simply points him out. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the sacrifice who will atone for sin. In the Greek, when it says this sacrifice takes away the sin of the world, it could also be translated carries the sin of the world, or bears the sin of the world. In fact, if you looked in your Bible and you have a different translation than mine, it may have said just that. The idea in the Greek is that you you bear something up like a heavy load, and then you bear it away. You take it away. Same thing if you carry it. You carry something of great weight, and you carry it away. Here is Jesus, the Lamb of God, a sacrifice who carries our sins, who bears our sins, and bears them away, so that now we are forgiven, we are free, we are saved. That's what John says. It's not about me, I'm nothing. It's about Jesus, this one, this Lamb of God. Now, beautiful depiction of the message of John, is found in a famous painting called The Crucifixion by a German uh, artist named Matthias Grunewald. You may have seen it before. It's, it's been reprinted in just about every art book dealing with Renaissance art at, all, at least that's ever been printed. Would you go ahead and put that up? So, you see, Jesus, he has now died. And though you can't really see it here, if you could zoom in on his hands, you would see just by the way his hands are snarled that he has has experienced horrifying pain as as he takes the sins of the world upon himself, terrible suffering. It's difficult to see because of the shadow on the slide, but on his right side, you can just see the blood that's running down. That's from the wound inflicted by the Roman soldier, drove a spear into his side to make certain that he was dead. To the right, you see John the Baptist. It's difficult to see from this distance, but you can see at his feet there's a lamb. In fact, if you'd go ahead and do the second slide, please. You see there's a lamb at his feet. The lamb has a staff and the staff is in the shape of a cross because the lamb represents Christ who's coming to the cross. And though, once again, it's difficult to see on the slide, from the side of this lamb, there is pouring out something that looks like blood and water emptying into a chalice. But what's interesting is John is not pointing to the lamb because the lamb is a symbol. He is pointing instead to the one who fulfills the symbol, to the Lamb of God who's dying on the cross. It's all about him. You see the Latin inscription next to John? In English it reads, he must increase, I must decrease. If you go back to the earlier slide, He's pointing to Christ. You see his finger is out of proportion. His index finger is too large for his hand or even his body. And that's all meant to emphasize that, that John is a witness. This is the whole purpose of his life in ministry is to point to Christ. But he doesn't just point to Jesus. He points specifically to the wound in his side. If you draw a straight line from that finger, you would go to the wound the sight of Christ, that's what the witness is all about, the Lamb of God offering up his life, crucified for us, atoning for our sins that we might be forgiven. That was John's witness. That's what he was called to proclaim. It's a powerful message. And, And just this last week, I've been reflecting on it and An old hymn has come to mind. Many of you perhaps have never even heard this hymn. It's called There is a Fountain. I didn't grow up with it myself. I learned it only many years later. But it's a hymn that speaks of the blood of Christ, the Lamb who's been sacrificed, His blood poured out for our salvation. Yesterday afternoon as I was getting ready for this evening, I thought, this would be so good to sing in the congregation. So I thought, who better than Holly Tucker? So I called Holly on the telephone. This is last night, you understand, asking her about this morning. I call her on the telephone. There's noise in the background. Turns out she's in Arlington. She's about to sing the national anthem at the Texas Rangers game. <laughs> Holly, I know you won't get back late, but would there be any way you could sing, There is a Fountain a cappella in the middle of my sermon?" She said, sure, I'd love to do it. So, Holly, would you come on up? What I want you to do, maybe you've never heard this hymn before, I want you to hang on every word. I want you to hear the gospel. This This is the witness of John the Baptist to Jesus Christ pointing to his wounds, reminding us where our salvation is found. Thank you so much.
1: There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners' blood blood lose. Wash up. Sins by faith, I saw the stream.
0: you. Thank you, Holly. I promise in the future I'll always give you at least two hours warning. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Wow, what a message that is. I was in Morrison Heights Baptist Church with my wife and children One Sunday when that song was sung and I couldn't get out of my mind that last phrase, redeeming love will be my theme, has been my theme and will be till I die and will be till I die. It was like everything else in the service faded away because that signified to me that the grace of god seen in christ crucified that covers my past my sins but it also secures my future my whole life that that would be true of my life going forward till the very end that god had been faithful and gracious would continue to be faithful and gracious to the end It's a powerful, powerful message. Now, here's the point that I want to get to. All of us who are believers are called to be witnesses, just like John. We're called to point to Christ. And when we do that, part of our confession is, it's not about me. That's part of the confession. It's not me. It's Christ. We point people to Jesus Christ. He is Messiah, the chosen one. He is Lord. We are not. Witness is a humble task because it is the repudiation of control. Too many times, people don't want Christians talking to them about Christ because they feel like we're trying to control them. And we have to signal to them it's not about control. We're not saying, be like me. That's not the message. It's not look like me, talk like me, do what I do, worship like I worship. It's not that at all. It's pointing to Jesus Christ. It's not me, it's him, not me. Some time ago, I did a funeral, and there was a young man who came with the family that stood out from the family. He was tall, thin. He wore a white T-shirt, as in a white undershirt, he had a pack of cigarettes rolled in the sleeve of his undershirt, sort of like James Dean back in the day. Do any of you know who James Dean is? It was before my time, too, so don't get snarky about it. <laughs> had a pack of cigarettes. He, you know, his jeans were all torn up. His, his body was covered in tattoos. I mean, just about everywhere. And he'd never make it through a metal detector. I mean, ears covered with metal, nose, lips. I mean, he had piercings everywhere. Didn't fit in with the rest of the family. There he was. And I had the sense that the Holy Spirit wanted me to reach out to him, just to connect with him some way. So after the service, I took the risk of offending other people by blowing right past them so that I could talk to this young man whose name turned out to be Brandon. After visiting a little bit, I said, Brandon, I'd love to buy you lunch sometime. And I gave him my card and I said, Send me an email, we'll get together. I'd like to hear your story. I didn't expect anything, but sure enough, a couple of days later, he sends me an email. So we set it up, and there we are, there we are in Mo's barbecue talking about his newfound faith in Jesus Christ. It turns out that this young man who didn't exactly look like your standard fair Baptist. This young man had just received Jesus Christ as his Savior and he didn't know what to do next. And I'm certain that's why the Holy Spirit put him on my heart because he needed help. What do I do next? So we got to talk about his new faith, and I I shared some things in the Scriptures with him and tried to give him some counsel about how to go forward, and it had nothing to do with piercings or tattoos, I can tell you that much, because that was not the point. I'm not preaching, Brandon, be like I am, or be like someone else. I'm saying, let's talk about Jesus. So that's what we did. We talked about his new faith, and I tried to give him some encouragement and, and, you know, he he made it. I mean, he, he ended up joining a church, by the way, a biker church, where you had a lot of folks who were bikers, ex-drug addicts, alcoholics, and all the rest, and, and he just found a home there. He had found his tribe, and, and I feel certain he's following Jesus to this day. But there we were in Moe's, and I don't generally make a big deal about praying in restaurants. I'm not embarrassed to pray in a restaurant, but I'm also not wanting to put on a big display. But just at this time, it seemed right, and we just Took hands and we prayed with each other. What a sight we were. So here I am, uh, this middle-aged preacher. I've got dress shirt, dress pants, and a tie on. And here's Brandon. I've already described Brandon. And here we are at the table, and we're praying there. What in the world do we have in common? We have absolutely everything that matters in common. That's what. Everything that matters. We're both created in the image of God. We're both sinners who need grace. We both have turned to Jesus Christ to have our sins washed away. What else is there? We were united in our faith. We belong together. Boy, that's a message the church needs to be preaching today. Amen? in this day where there's so much tension and so much trouble, so much racial division, if ever there was a day that we were to say the most fundamental thing about us all, whatever the differences in color or background, whatever our ethnic heritage, our country of origin, whatever the case may be, and as important as those things may be, we don't want to erase all that, We don't want to obliterate all that. That's all good. But whatever those differences may be, it's within the context of we are all created in the image of God. We are all sinners who need Jesus Christ. And indeed, Christ has died for the sins of the world, the whole world. That's a message we need to get out, not a message of control. You be like me. So, you know, you look like me, you dress like me, you, 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 know, you just spend your time like me, you vote like me, you do all the, not, no, no, not any of that stuff. It's, we point people to Jesus Christ. He must increase, I must decrease, just as John said. So we want to be witnesses. And the thing is, if Christ died for the world, then his death is of eternal and infinite holiness and power. That means he can save anybody. That family member has hurt you so badly or that enemy you don't even want to see, let alone talk to. Christ has died for all and all can be saved. Even when they look to you or me like they're unsavable, they can be saved. Even when they don't look interested, they can be saved. I know a young man who was so lost, so lost, and he knew he was lost, but he didn't know how to find his way. He grew up in a family where he was left to find his own way, and he wasn't doing a very good job of it. One day, he's walking across campus, and there's a preacher standing on a, on a soapbox, essentially holding forth. This preacher is pretty confrontational, and probably needlessly so. But you can imagine the crowd that gathered around him as he's preaching in the open air, calling people to be saved. So this young man's walking across campus. He sees this crowd gathered around, and he sits down. He was interested in God. But nobody knew that. Nobody knew it because he wasn't about to show it. First off, he wasn't going to show that he was vulnerable. He was going to cover all that up with his cockiness. And he wasn't going to show that he was religious because religious to him was kind of an embarrassing thing. It just was, well, can I put it this way? It just seemed kind of effeminate and not something that a young guy ought to be involved in. But there he was, he was listening, and he had questions. This preacher's holding forth, and so he actually waved his hand, and the preacher looked at him, and he asked his question. The answer came back. It wasn't very satisfactory, so there's a follow-up question. It goes back and forth, and, and the crowd, which had already been riled up, they start getting into it, and they're, they're adding their heckles and their laughter and this sort of thing, and one thing led to another, and what was supposed to be a genuine question Seeking a genuine answer became more of a debate, and the whole thing degenerated, and, it, and eventually the whole crowd joined in and turned against this preacher. They really weren't for him anyway, but just the whole dynamic went that way. When it was over, everyone came to him, patted him on the back, said, oh, you showed that guy. What a fool. What a fool. What no one there would have ever imagined was that this young man, that night, called around and found out where that preacher was that evening. He was speaking. He went there where he was speaking, waited till he was finished, and then approached him to talk to him, and they talked into the night about Jesus Christ. He didn't accept Christ at that time, but he did shortly thereafter. He studied for the ministry, eventually became the pastor of First Woodway Baptist Church. I was so lost. And I was so desperate. And you would never have known it. You would never have known it. I had that covered. Think about how many people are like that. We think. Religion's not for them. Jesus isn't for them. We hold back. We don't bear witness. We don't think it's for them. Of course it's for them. It's for everyone. Everyone lives with that need. So the message, we're witnesses, and we're not the, we're not the message itself. We point to Jesus, and we tell it, the message, to everyone even when it seems like maybe they're not interested. They're interested. Maybe at that moment they're distracted, that moment they're not, but they will be. They will be. The time's coming. We need to bear witness. We need to tell them. doesn't matter how far they may seem like from God, like Brandon seemed, (laughs) you know... I don't want to say he seemed far from God, but let's face it. You know, this wasn't standard-issue church person attire that he had. So, it'd be easy to assume he's far from God, but he wasn't far from God. He had already called on Jesus, and Jesus reached him. And it may seem people, like people aren't interested in God. I didn't seem interested in God, and I desperately wanted God. Even when it looked like I was trying to mock a preacher... That really wasn't the intention I ever had. I needed God. But you're not far from God. That's the thing. You came in here this t- today, and it may be that, you know, you're walking with Christ, and you're here to worship and fellowship with other believers, and I think that's probably true for, for most people here, and I think that's wonderful, but it may be that you've come, and nobody really knows the darkness that's in your heart, except you know what's in your heart, and you know that you need salvation. Others may not understand how you feel, but you know you need it. You desperately want it. What you need to know is you are not far from God. Or the way I should put it is God's not far from you. And you don't have to run through an obstacle course to get to God. After I accepted Christ, I'd often go to the Episcopal Church right off the LSU campus. It was open 24 hours a day. You'd go in there and pray anytime. I'd go in there to pray. And inside, it was all stone, brick, and wood. So the sound would just be bouncing everywhere. So you could hear a pencil drop in that whole room. You could be sitting in the back, and you could speak in a normal voice, and someone in the front would be able to hear you no amplification at all. You may feel like you are so far from God that God couldn't possibly hear you, but you don't have to make special effort. You just need to voice your prayer, and he will hear you. He can hear you right where you are. In fact, he can hear you whether you speak words or not. That's the truth. And what's true for you if you're not a believer, is also true for you if you are a believer. Too many Christians are not sharing their faith in Christ. They're not witnessing to Jesus because they haven't been liberated by the gospel. They say they believe. They still live as if, as if they're under their sins, as if their standing with God depends on how well they did between 8 and 12 today, you know? Well, let's say I'm at lunchtime and I've done pretty well so far. I must be open. Okay. As if. The truth is Christ has atoned for our sins. We are cleansed by the blood of Christ. If you know that, what incredible good news that is. And to be able to share that with people, what a privilege. To point them to Jesus and know that Jesus loves them and Jesus won't let them down. That's one thing. Whenever you share something about Jesus, you never have to worry. Jesus will let somebody down. He won't. But first, you have to know what you're talking about. You need to know about this love. So let's pray about that now. Heavenly Father, would you, by your Holy Spirit, work in each heart as is needed? Lord, some of us are Christians who need to more deeply believe what we already profess to believe, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who has carried away the sins of the world and who has carried away our sins as well. Lord, we want to be witnesses to that. We pray that you would give us boldness to be witnesses, to tell people not about ourselves or or to try to control others, Lord, but simply point them to the Lord of lords the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray now for any here who don't know you as Savior. In fact, if that's you and you want to receive Christ as your Savior, then pray in your own way something like this. Lord Jesus, I've turned my back on what is right and I've turned my back on you. I know that. I know also that you died in my place, you bore my sin, and that there's forgiveness in your love. I pray that you would forgive me now, that you would breathe into me new life, and let me begin again. Thank you, Lord.